a lot of people, when they get their spam, well, they get mad. When I get my spam, I get excited. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up there, listener? Welcome back to Traffic Jam. This is episode 63 of the podcast show that teaches you how to get more traffic and build a profitable audience online. I'm your host, as always, James Reynolds. And in just a short moment from now, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Mizell for a talk all about paid traffic amongst a few other things as well. So that's coming up in just a moment. Before we get to the interview, just a reminder that with all Traffic Jam episodes come a bunch of bonuses. Today is no different. So head on over right now to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 63. That's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 63 to get your episode bonuses, which today include my own personal notes from my discussion today with Jonathan Mizell, plus a downloadable MP3 and a full transcript of today's session also. So head on over there right now, download your bonuses, grab a drink, put a notepad to one side and let's get ready for the show. The Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, today's guest is Jonathan Mizell, and he's been marketing online literally since the birth of the internet itself. He's a true pioneer of the scene with a wealth of experience in both paid traffic, organic traffic and offline. And we're going to be covering each of those topics on today's session. You're in for an absolute treat and especially so because this is the one and only interview that Jonathan's going to be doing in 2015 and extremely honoured that he's chosen Traffic Jam. So on that note, let's welcome to Traffic Jam, Jonathan Mizell from Cyberwave Media. Hey, so welcome back, listeners. You're tuned into episode 63 of Traffic Jam. And joining me today, we've got Jonathan Mizell. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm great. Awesome. Well, stoked to have you on the call today. We've kind of moved agendas and literally had to get you up at the crack of dawn to do this. So appreciate you taking an early morning off and tuning in for Traffic Jam. Let's get stuck right into the questioning. I think this is going to be quite interesting. You've been online for a long, long time, perhaps longer than most of my previous guests. So what I thought we'd do today is talk about some of the things that have perhaps worked in the past that no longer work today and some of the newer opportunities where we should be focusing our attention going forward. Now, to kind of set the scene for this conversation, and I guess the year may surprise some listeners, when and how did you get started online? I I think my very first online experience was 1991. 1991, 1992, we had CompuServe, AOL. Now, this was uh, 
before the commercial internet actually, you know, rose up. Uh, when we first got online, I think in terms of like the internet, I think there were you know, maybe several thousand websites. And here's an uh, an example of where we were at. Yahoo did not have their own domain. They were located on a subdirectory of Stanford University. And it was more of a links list with a little search function to it. And, uh, you know, those were, were back in the very exciting days of the Internet because um, you could do almost anything and you could dominate almost anything. But on the other hand, there was almost nobody on the Internet. So... Uh, you know, it was a very, a very different time. And of course, things just exploded and grew rather quickly from there. Yeah, well, I guess we are into uh, extremely different scenarios. I mean, before there was, you know, almost endless opportunity, but perhaps smaller markets. And now there's massive markets, but maybe less opportunity because it's a little more overcrowded. Which scenario would you opt for if you're given the choice between kind of 1991, 93, when you first got started and 2015, where we are now? Uh, I would opt for today. You know, one of the things today that is so different is that there is, um, it seems to me at least, like there's an unlimited amount of traffic. Back then, uh, you know, it was easy to get traffic, but there, there you just didn't have a lot of visitors. Uh, you didn't have a lot of, uh, you didn't have a lot of audience. And the audience that was there was, um, there was no real way to segment it and no real reason to either. You know, if they were yeah. online, you'd be selling them something that related to online, like uh, software was what one of the big things that, that was sold back then. Um, now, because the audiences are, are so big, you, you just have tremendous opportunity to sell anything and everything. And you've got sites like Facebook, uh, you know, or any of the big networks that have segmented things so well and know so much about the audience that no matter what you're selling, whether it's, you know, software or something having to do with woodworking, the audience is there and, and it's ready for you. Uh, and also today, there's so much more traffic um, that, uh, yeah, you have to buy it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you can't just throw a web page up and, you know, everyone would sign up. I mean, this was back in the day when you could put a squeeze page or an opt in form up and people just didn't know any better. They would you know, get like 70, 80, 90% opt in rates. And <laughs> yeah, the audience is more sophisticated now. Uh, but, but now you have a real opportunity for segmentation and for real target marketing. Yeah. Well, those are back in the days where it was kind of a novelty to receive an email, right? So I'm sure people wanted to <laughs> subscribe to email lists. It's like, wow, got another email today. Something they could tell their right. friends about. <laughs> <laughs> I used to tell that to my, my uh, girlfriend. I'm like, look at all the email I got. Like, That's amazing. <laughs> Where are those people from? I'm like, I don't know, but isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, times have severely changed. Anyway, I know you've got certain kind of colorful views, let's say, on certain traffic sources. One, for instance, is, <laughs> is SEO, which you describe as bullshit. Why do you say that? Well, uh, now, again, when we started, you could go to search engines like Yahoo or Excite. You know, most of the search engines weren't even around uh, or aren't even around anymore. And you could make a page, you could submit it, 
And within five to 10 minutes, you'd see it in the index. And back then, take a term like uh, weight loss or lose weight or or some very popular term today, right? Something that, you know, has 100 million plus searches. Uh, You only had a handful of people uh, trying to optimize for that particular phrase. So, you know, it was you and 10 other guys. So, of course, you'd you'd be able to, to have a lot of wins. Um, nowadays, you've got you, you've got the 10 guys, and then you've got, you know, the guys in the next town and the guys in the next country. And I would say the competition has really killed SEO. It hasn't killed the long tail. You know, there's still five, four, five, six word phrases, highly targeted phrases that you can get optimized for. But that's not really scalable, is it, James? I mean, yeah. you can't uh, you can't build a business on you know, even if they're highly targeted, 50 highly targeted clicks a week, the way that we um, discovered paid media is we we had some issues with Google. And once you have some issues with, once you're making a lot of money with SEO and Google decides they don't like your pages or your sites or whatever anymore, uh, they turn you off. And there's nothing more depressing than going from a, a thousand or two thousand bucks a day down to you know, 20, 30 bucks a day. And and so that's how we discovered paid media. And that's where we really determined that the most important thing, at least for us, is scalability. Uh, for, for a local business, it's going to be different. I mean, if you're a pet shop, uh, you know, you don't want a million visitors to your website. They're going to burn your 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 servers down and, and they're going to, you know, like just destroy your load times. You only want as many people as are in your local town to visit your site. But, you know, if you're selling something that has true scalability, something in a large market, something in a a consumer market, well, scalability is where it's at. You want as many visitors as possible so that you can really maximize your audience and then start working on your conversion. Yeah, and I guess it's becoming a smaller and smaller window with Google, right? I mean, not only is that restriction of 10 spaces between 10 people, you know, set, you've also got the issue that the fact now that, you know, there's so much content online, I think the statistics are that it doubles every, you know, seven to 12 months or something. So you're only increasing the competitive nature of that competition. It just gets harder and harder, right? That's right. And also you have um, when we don't call it web 2.0 anymore, but you know, when the social hit and uh, uh, the user generated content, you know, now there's such a great opportunity with advertising. I mean, imagine being the advertising manager for Facebook. And I, I don't know if this is true, but someone said that they get something like almost a trillion page views a month. Now, you know, whether it's a page page views a month or page views a quarter, that there's a heck of a lot of inventory out there. And then there's also the Pinterest and the, you know, all, all the social sites. And so there's such an easy opportunity to buy advertising now that you know why would you spend your time trying to you know, trying to get SEO you 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 optimize a page and then 3 months later you figure out if you actually have something there it's certainly an interesting point i mean whereas the opportunity perhaps you know narrows for SEO it it does widen for paid media because more and more people are going online they're they're surfing in more and more places there is more places to put advertising right and be more and more targeted in the process so I can certainly see why that would be the case and why you're perhaps, you know, slightly vehemently against um, SEO as a traffic source. 
Uh, yeah. And listen, if it works for you, I absolutely think you should optimize your page for Google. And I think you should have your address at the bottom and your name. And, you know, you should have a good relevant title tag. Uh, but I wouldn't rely on that to be the be all. And I, I think we spend, you know, all of 20 minutes a month thinking about search engine optimization. We want to make sure we're findable. But in terms of really getting a new audience, and really attracting the right kind of people into our site, we we almost rely exclusively on paid media, PPV, PPC, email, uh, you know, some sort of search that's paid search, uh, because it's something that we can control and it's something that we can scale. And yeah, you have to pay for it. But you know, there's there's this uh, thing that I learned a while back, and that is traffic goes where it's respected. And, and this is going to sound a little weird, but if you're buying your traffic, you're going to respect it a lot more than if you're getting it for free. If you're paying real money out of your pocket to bring visitors into your site, well, you're not going to give them a crappy page and you're not going to say, oh, look, they were more engaged today than they were yesterday. You're going to have a, a solid strategy. You're going to try to engage people in the right way. You're going to try to capture their information so you can follow up with them later. And you're going to give them something that's relevant and, and that means something to them. And that's really, you know, that's really the, the big benefit to switching over to a paid strategy is that the um, you start to respect your audience so much more. And Conversely, they start to respect you. Yeah, it kind of helps you raise your game somewhat when you've got a little bit of dollar in the game, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned we several times. I know you've got a, an agency called Cyberwave Media where you buy media placements on behalf of clients. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have got going on over there. What do you do day to day? Uh, well, day to day, we've actually really scaled that back. And now what we do is um, we like to work with one or two clients or what we call captive offers. These are offers that we either have a vested interest in or that we own ourselves, and and really start to do media buying and traffic uh you know, strategy for those offers as opposed to just being a general agency. And a lot of that it just has to do with the specialization uh, of the industry. You have so many people out there. You know, whenever I see competition, uh, I, I, I move. I move into a different space. And so when we were like the only game in town in terms of like doing, you know, media buying, then we started to do more captive offers or offers where we could make more money from them. And whenever um, we saw more people get into strategy, we started to do uh, away from, you know, offering strategy and, and teaching our stuff and really start implementing our stuff. Now, we still do teach stuff. We've got a course called Traffic Evolution. We teach people email marketing. Um, but in terms of like the one-on-one -on -one stuff, we, with just a couple of exceptions, we like to limit that to stuff that we own or control or have an interest in. And I recommend that to, you know, everybody listening to this. I mean, if you're, if you're an agency uh, or a CPA network or, you know, a media buyer, you probably have already figured out you're going to make more money, have more control, have more reliable income selling something that you have a vested interest in and something that you own or control or have at least 
some degree of control over than just working for a client. Because when you put yourself in the position of saying, well, you hang your shingle out and you say, hey, I'll work with all the clients uh, that will come my way, then, you know, you, you can get fired. Yeah. <laughs> but when you own the business or have a, a vested interest in it, it's, you know, it's impossible to to fire someone or it's impossible to be fired because it's something that, you know, you're a part of. And also, you, uh, you really start to um, become an expert at one thing. Uh, we've really worked in the health space. And it's something now that we're so good at because we, you know, not because we say we're good at it, just because we've done it so many times for so long that, you know, we, we got our chops down and now we can really focus on, on that stuff. And when you're beginning or when you're new, um, a lot of uh, young copywriters ask me, how do you learn how to write copy or media buyers? And I said, well, bring on a bunch of clients. Figure out um, who you want to serve and then get hired by a bunch of people. There's nothing better than having deadlines and uh, work, you know, that you have some accountability for. But over time, um, I would recommend moving from more of a generalist into a specialist role, whether you're the owner of the company or whether you're an agency serving a particular niche. Nice, good advice. Which traffic sources are either you or your clients having most success with right now? We talked about some of those that you disfavor. Which are the ones are you favoring most at the moment? I think my favorite one and always has been is email, email marketing. And, um, you know, it's shocking to people uh, out there that a couple things. It's shocking that email still works. You know, this is a real uh, big surprise. People think with all the spam out there that there wouldn't there wouldn't really be any life or juice left to email. But uh, a lot of people, when they get their spam, well, they get mad. When I get my spam, I get excited and I look at it and I'm like, huh, I want I keep getting spam for this thing. I wonder what this thing is. I wonder what this product is. I wonder who owns this list. I wonder if I can contact this list owner. I wonder if they'll mail for me too. You know, I wonder if they're can spam compliant. And so doing a lot of reverse engineering has really helped me um, discover not only new traffic sources, but new funnels. And then the other thing I really like about email is we, um, we were one of the first people to use the squeeze page. Uh, and we've been using it since 1998, right? And I think there are a couple guys maybe have been using it longer. But, you know, in terms of what we've been doing, we really love squeeze pages. And the reason we love them is because it allows us to build a list. And when we look at all the different kinds of traffic sources out there and we throw that traffic into multiple pages – the pages that you know we like the most are squeezes, and the traffic source that works best with that is email traffic. And that's because those users are behaviorally predisposed to opt into lists. They opt in into the list that you're renting or that is doing the JV, and now they're coming to your page, and they're going to opt into that as well. Um, 
So email is a huge one for us. Uh, we've also found that there are a lot of commercially available lists out there. You can rent legally, ethically, honestly. And then there also, our biggest strategy is finding list owners that maybe have a small list, five or 10 or 15,000 people on it, who've never even considered doing a joint venture or renting their list. And, you know, when uh, we were hearing a funny story about a guy that just rented a list and... Um, Apparently, the the list owner was saying, oh, my God, you want to give me $100 to rent? Oh, my God, I can't even believe. Maybe I should go into the list rental business. And my friend was saying, yeah, you should, but only for me. You know, don't, don't rent it out to anyone else. Um, I know Charles Kirkland was on, and he was talking about PPV, and we really like – PPV is probably our second favorite um, traffic source, because you can literally pop up a squeeze page or a web page over your competitor. You know, you can, if you're selling a weight loss product, you can target Weight Watchers and you can um, pop up a web page and say, hey, Weight Watchers visitors, you know, check this out now. And so you can create all these really fun, contextually relevant bridges and uh, almost sneak in there. Um, and really target people at the point where they're about to make a decision, uh, like when they're on the page of your competitor. Uh, and then PPC is still fantastic as well. And we also rank native advertising, which is more of a content-based PPC uh, along in the PPC bucket. But you know, any sort of pay-per-click where you're um, – uh, getting people to click, you're sticking ads in front of them, either ads that are relevant to the page they're on or ads that are relevant to the keyword that they search for. All of those continue to work uh, to bring people into your funnel. And those are probably our, our three favorites, email, PPV, and PPC. Nice. I love what you spoke about in terms of uh, you know list rental. And, and it reminded me of a, a piece that I was reading you know, prior to this interview where you said you'd been influenced quite a lot by Jay Abraham and these kind of concepts of doing host beneficiary type relationships that he spoke about in the offline world, gosh, I don't know, 15, you know, probably 20 years ago now. But it's very true to the point that there are people with assets, with customer lists, you know, inquirers lists who've never, ever thought of actually emailing those people or making that available to someone else so outside the main channel you know there are still opportunities that exist hey right yeah and <clears throat> listen um that particular talk that jay gave which i think i heard from a gary halbert letter uh you, you know maybe two decades ago it, it just it blew my mind because what jay said is you need customers they are a particular type of customer. Now, you can either go dig them out of the ground, and it's great to do that, by the way. I dig a lot of leads and a lot of prospects out of the ground. I dig them out fresh, right? And, and they're mine. You know, I'm not buying leads from someone. I, when, you, when you run your own lead gen campaigns, you get those leads, and they're exclusive to you. And that is a fantastic way of getting leads and of bringing traffic and prospects into your business. But it can also be quite expensive because the more targeted you need that person, you know, the, you want someone who wants accounting services and they've got to be local and they've got to have a business that's got at least 10 employees. And, and so you start to look at all these double and triple demographic qualifications that they need. Um, it can, you know, you can pay $30, $40, $50 a lead or 
you can just go to a business that targets that same kind of lead. You know, if you're if you're uh, an accountant and you're looking for those kinds of business uh, owners in your area, you contact the lawyer and you say, maybe I can share those leads with you. And I'm I'm already going to pay forty fifty dollars for those leads by digging them out of the ground. I'll just give you the forty or fifty dollars, and I'm not even going to compete with you. And so um, a, a lot of it has to do with figuring out uh, not just who your competitors are, because first of all, your competitors will quite often give you your data, give you your list. I mean, look at ClickBank or, or any of these ad networks out there, or, or sorry, affiliate networks. You contact these guys and they sell a weight loss pill or something like that. And you call them up and you say, well, I sell a weight loss pill. And they're like, oh, well, I'll mail your offer. I mean, how often would a direct competitor before the internet say, oh, will you sell something? I sell the exact same thing. I would love to give you my customers. (laughs) I mean, it's it's almost bizarre. Yeah, it's insane. but you forget that there are also a, a bunch of other businesses that are not necessarily competitors for you. They're not just they're not selling the exact diet pill, but they're competitors for that traffic, or they're competitors for that prospect or for that demographic. And that's where the real opportunities lie, especially for small businesses and local businesses. You know, it's almost like. Um, uh, the Chamber of Commerce meetings uh, that I don't know if they have them where you are, but in the U.S. there's a lot of Chamber of Commerce's uh, uh, organizations. And the idea was traditionally 20, 30 years ago, well, the accountant and the lawyer and the doctor and the contractor, they'd all get together and they would all be going after the same prospect, but they would be selling something different. Same prospects, but different products, different services. And they would share those prospects amongst themselves in order to further all their own businesses. And that's really all that Jay was talking about. And that's how we have made you know a ton of money doing that over the last 20 years. Yeah, it's a fantastic strategy. I actually build up a small photography company prior to doing what I do now, pretty much based on this kind of host beneficiary relationship type sort of setup. We did family pictures and we did weddings and we literally went out and handpicked the very best wedding, you know, ring seller, the jeweler. We went to the the bridal shop and we, we handpicked all of the businesses with you know same target audience as us that were kind of premium in our area. And we incentivized them to basically introduce us to their customers. And, and, and it was phenomenally successful. One, because we're getting the right target audience. But the second reason was that they were essentially endorsing us and introducing us to their customer base, which made that sort of sale or at least the next step towards a sale much more fluid. I mean, it works extremely well, as you say, for local businesses, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people don't get that. When you rent a list, um, that list owner, and they mail on your behalf, they're actually endorsing you. They're saying, hey, I've checked this guy out and, and he's solid. And even if they haven't, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend uh, taking advantage of people. Um, I would recommend always doing a solid job with whatever you're doing. But just remember when you have people who are working with you, are recommending you, you, you know, they're, they're, unknowingly they're putting themselves on the line by recommending you and you said something that was really powerful a lot of business owners don't get this 
You incentivize those businesses. You don't just ask them. You don't say, hey, mail for me. You don't just say, hey, recommend me or refer me or can I put my business cards on your, on your uh, counter you know, uh, or your flyers in your window. I mean, you say, I will pay you to do this. I will, you know, I will give you cash money. Um, when you have someone coming in, the ring seller, and you know this person's going to be getting married, they sell the engagement ring. Well, now there's a three to six month window before the wedding starts getting planned. What a perfect time for that ring seller to say, have you um, chosen a wedding planner yet? Do you have a place yet? A photographer? And, and now the person is not only highly receptive because the timing is right, but but this ring seller has just sold them a you know $5,000 ring. And so there's a bit of trust and a degree of uh, connection there. Yeah, absolutely. And how else are they going to make any more money beyond that ring sale? So it's certainly worthwhile for them too. Huh? Well, let's get back to talking about kind of online stuff. You're a big fan of PPC and it seems to be that Facebook is the big flavor of the day right now in terms of sort of pay-per-click marketing. What do you see as the next big trend though? Who's going to be the next one to kind of rival Google AdWords and the like? Uh, I don't. I don't think Facebook has even started what they're doing. Uh, you know, to any big extent. Um, Facebook last year launched their network, which is a an out of network. Um, uh, I think it's the FBX, the Facebook Exchange. It's not something we have a lot of experience looking at. And what's so great about Facebook, just demographic. Uh, but, you know, um, psychographic and behavioral information. Uh, I mean, we know that this guy is interested in woodworking and we know that he's 44 years old and we know that he likes BMWs. But um, we also know because or Facebook knows that he clicks ads. I was talking to a large uh, agency a while back, and these guys do a ton of banner ad um, buys, and they have started to aggregate information that's behavioral in nature. And the number one thing that they learn is that there are action takers and then there are, are looky-loos. And so what he discovered is out of all the people on the internet, like only 13% of them click ads. This is there's only 13%. And out of the 13%, only about 25% of the 13% or 4% actually opt into pages. And out of those people, that the 4%, only 1% to 2%, you know, regularly buy stuff. Now, we're not talking about Amazon. We're talking about, um, because you're not going to be competing with Amazon, we're talking about people who are trying to sell something, a product, an ebook, of. Uh, you know, a thing, a widget, a physical thing off of their website. Wouldn't it be amazing to only be able to target those people? And what he had done, first of all, is just eliminated all the non-clickers. I mean, why would you want to show up banner impressions to people who don't click ads? And in that case, why would you want to show banner impressions to people who don't click ads or opt into forms? And I think what Facebook has is this behavioral data and um, I see them as, and I didn't really get it at first, because I don't think any of us had a clue how much data they were collecting. But now that they're able to aggregate that data into huge databases and really big data, as they're calling it, and um, move that off of the 
the Facebook environment and out of the Facebook site, uh, I think I think that's going to be really the killer app. And and if we want to look at something that's not Facebook, um, it's it's being done offline or sorry 